right, welcome to the Sweet Science of Flying podcast. Today we have Nick Garcia. Welcome, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know, I'm relatively new to the, the fight game or the grappling game, but I really, really enjoy it. I've always enjoyed watching it my whole life. Um, but I'm fair, you know, four or five years in, so I'm fairly new, I guess you'd say. <laughs> no, awesome. Don't just move your camera down just a little bit. I think it's, it's blocking off your face. Maybe because you're yeah, perfect. There we go. No, that's too far now. <laughs> Tell me when. Yeah, perfect. Right there. No, we're good. We're good right there. Awesome. Yeah. So, do you want to maybe give a brief background about that? I mean, you said you're kind of relatively new to the to the grappling game, but you're not relatively new to the strength conditioning game. So do you want to maybe dive into a little bit of that? Uh, yeah. So as far as the strength conditioning game, um, I knew I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach or, or athletic development coach when I was uh, in uh, high school, and uh, it was my sophomore year. And at that time, Nebraska football was the uh, the epitome of strength and conditioning. They were dominating in football. And uh, I wanted to be a good football player as well. And at this time in high school, in 90, you know, 95, 94, around that time, strength and conditioning wasn't a big deal then. Like, it was like people mm-hmm. lifted, and we had three squat racks and a small room, probably, you know, a, a 20 by 20 room with three squat racks. Um, but, uh, you know, the guys who showed up trained and got stronger and, uh, you know, it was just, it was a different time, but in order to get stronger, I said, well, I saw this ad for make the play by Boyd Epley. And it was a make the play Nebraska program, uh, that they came out with and I ordered it and I still have the VHS, VHS take today Mm. and the actual program that they sent today with the, the flyer. It said like June 6th, Nebraska football camp, uh, strength conditioning camp, uh, 19, you know, 90, whatever, five or six or something. So I still have it and I kept it. And it's interesting because I have a lot of guys come here and recruit and Nebraska came by and I said, look at this. And I showed them, they took pictures of it because they wanted to show Coach Epley because he still works at that, uh, <laughs> at that facility uh, or at, at, you know, at Nebraska or is involved with it still. But uh, after high school, um, I didn't, you know, really know what I wanted to do. I went to junior college first and got into shot putting. And uh, actually that set my – Set my uh, whole athletic career off and my strength and conditioning career off. I got a good uh, college coach at Northridge, Cal State Northridge, was very structured, and, and I learned everything I could from him, Glenn McAtee. And it, it was very, very structured, and there was a plan for everything and a system for everything. And to this day, I'm still a systems guy. I've, I've went my own way as far as strength and conditioning goes. I still use a huge part that I learned from him. But my programming and things are, are a little bit different than what we did back back then. But uh, that's kind of my history of it, and um, the way I got the strength and conditioning job, strength and conditioning job at Notre Dame High is, um, I started working with the throwers there, and my throwers got really good really fast. They were part of the football team, and they were got strong fast as well. And so, when they saw the results of that, uh, I started working with the whole the whole program as far as football goes. <laughs> then, it, then it it evolved into baseball the whole school. and the whole school <laughs> and I kind of created my own job so that's what I do now oh that's awesome that's awesome so the person to, to dive into strength conditioning for jiu-jitsu today obviously you've found a love for jiu-jitsu semi, semi-recently but not too recent as well and you've obviously got some good experience behind you within strength conditioning as, as a coach as well so do you maybe start maybe with your philosophy behind strength training uh, in general, or maybe it's just strength training for sports, it's kind of, kind of all together anyway. Well, I think that, um, you know, 
we talked about this before a little while ago. There's guys who are Olympic lifting guys. There's guys who are powerlifting guys. There's guys who don't believe in the Olympic lift, you know, uh, and you can get away without them, et cetera. Um, I'm kind of an everything guy as far as my philosophy goes. My whole goal here is to prepare high school students for college. And so when we have four and five-star athletes that, like, we have three of them this year that are going to University of Houston for basketball, Duke for basketball, and Gonzaga, I reach out to the strength coaches, say, hey, what do, they, what do you want them to be prepared for when you get there? So um, there's a whole wide range of philosophies at those levels. So I try to cover everything uh, as far as teaching them how to Olympic lift, teaching them how to, you know, squat properly, that type of stuff. So that's the main thing. But I do not believe that, you know, you need to be a great Olympic lifter to be a great football player or a great Olympic lifter to be a great shot putter, discus thrower. There's lots of things that work for, for different people. And I've done it where yeah. I've gotten guys really, really strong. And, and, uh, and it went that route. And then I've done it where currently I have a kid named Kai Dynas who's uh, throwing 199 feet in the discus as a junior and 63-5 in the shot. And we train at 70%. We do Dr. Bonnerchuk's system, which is the complete opposite mm. of maximal strength type stuff. So I do it all kinds of different ways. And my philosophy is to be open-minded. And uh, furthermore, there's been a big debate right now on against two, like, they've posted a picture of um, – of King Kong versus Godzilla, of like Vern Gambetta and Mike Boyle, kind of going at it on, on Twitter. Did you <laughs> yeah, see that? Is that? And Vern's one of yeah, my Vern's one of my mentors. So it's a real big thing to you know give credit where credit is to do. Like my my systems that I've developed, like I developed my own system, but it came from Vern. It came from Glenn McAtee, Dan Lang, who was the throws coach at USC, um, John Smith, uh, and who's a big strength type guy at, at Ole Miss. Like he's really into the whole strength side of things. Um, so it came from a bunch of different philosophies, and um, my whole thing is is to be open-minded. Different things work for different people and different athletes, and uh, expose them to a wide variety of, of different movements yeah. and different lifts so they have experience in all all parts of dumbbell training, kettlebell training, Olympic lifting, powerlifting, etc. Nice. Do you want to maybe dive a little bit into, into Bondachuk's system? I've had Martin on previously talking about kind of the periodization and kind of the overview of how it works, but... You're already nailing it down with that high school city. So you want to maybe run through how that system works, how you're kind of using it, and if that would be applicable or possible with the jiu-jitsu method. So uh, as far as I use it, I use it pretty much with just individual sport athletes. If they play football and do track, it's, it's a challenging thing to do. But if they're just track athletes, we do it with just track athletes. And you mentioned periodization. Typically, when we periodize the traditional way, we tell the athlete when they're going to be ready. So... Uh, we drop the volume, increase the intensity, or, or make it medium, however you want to say it. We manipulate that stuff and say, okay, you're going to be unloaded here, so you should feel good here in a sense, right? So we tell them and we manipulate and say, this is when you're going to be ready. The Dr. Bondarchuk system is different, and, and the way it's different is the, each individual athlete's body is ready when their body says they're ready. And the whole thing of that is to find when they adapt and when they hit peak form. And so the gist of it is, is that you pick a competitive exercise in my in, in my sport track and field. It would be the throwing. So you would pick three implements. Let's say I'm going to throw a 14 pound shot, a 15 pound shot, and a 16 pound shot. So those are my competitive exercises. And these are the classifications. Like CE is competitive exercise. That's a classification. The next classification would be SDE, specific development exercise. That's something that mimics the actual movement but it's not using the same implement. Like we're not using a shot. We may be doing a stanto with a 35 pound kettlebell 
or in the discus, you might be doing a stand throw with a 15-pound dumbbell, uh, somewhere along those lines. And then you go to uh, your specific preparatory exercises. These are exercises that use the same uh, muscles as the actual movement of the throw, but it's not in the same pattern. Like So, you know, cleans, snatches, basically they're called global lifts. So your Olympic lifts and your your, your, your traditional power lifts, your may hex bar dead, your squat, your bench, or variations of your step-ups, things like that. Following that, and your bench press, following that, we have the last classification, which is GPE, and that's uh, general preparatory exercises. And basically the way we do it is we do um, one abdominal exercise, one twisting exercise, which is our transverse plane. Abdominal would be obviously sagittal plane. One back exercise and one um, frontal plane exercise. So it kind of covers the whole realm of the core and, mm-hmm. and some back stuff as well. And it covers all three planes. So a typical cycle would be uh, your competitive exercise, two to three SDEs. If you're a hammer thrower, or sorry, one SDE, and then two to three SPEs. And if you're a hammer thrower, you kind of take out bench press, but if you're a discus and shot putter, you leave that in. So that would be three SPEs. Mm-hmm. And then finally, uh, your GPE circuit. And you do the same thing every single day. So it's the same thing every day at roughly 70% of your max. And um, you chart you chart the, the distance of the throws. So I take the same amount of throws with the same elements in the same order. I do the same amount of lifting each day with the same exercises with the same intensity. And uh, I track my throws to keep track of uh, when I'm at peak form versus when I'm not at peak form. And you'll see peaks and valleys, and then when you'll see a big peak, it'll level off, and then you'll have a big drop-off. And that big drop-off is you're done with peak form, and you've, you've adapted, and so you got to change. And the whole goal is to figure out the pattern of right before that drop-off, we want to know we're going to hit peak form, and you want to be done with that before you, you hit that drop-off so you can switch everything. Mm. And... Um, some athletes, it takes 18 to 25 sessions. Some athletes, it's 40 sessions. Everybody's a little bit different. And that's how the system works. And it's the same. If you do it right each time, it's the same pattern every single time. And uh, that's, you know, that's basically the gist of the Dr. B system. It sounds extremely complicated, but it's actually a really easy system to run. Would that be possible in a sport like jiu-jitsu where you don't have – I guess something that you can measure every day in terms of performance that would be jiu-jitsu, would you have to do something like a throw as almost like a proxy? Yeah, a, a throw or a jump. So what I would do is with sports kind of like that, like that necessarily don't have a closed movement. Like I would I would uh, classify um, shot put or discus as a cyclical movement, right? Because it's kind of the same thing every yeah. time. Jiu-jitsu is not like that. You know, golf's not like that because you have different clubs, different lengths, etc. So, yes, in order to do that, you would do a, a vertical jump or a med ball heave for distance right when you get, get done warming up. Like, let's say we get on the mast, we do our, our, our warm-up, which is, you know, maybe some side shrimping, some regular shrimping, some front, you know, reverse shrimping. We do all our different warm-up stuff, and uh, then we go do our test. So we're going to test our vertical jump three times, chart that in Excel, and then we go to our, our, uh, our training. And so – then maybe you would like, okay, we get done with our training. That's our, more of our competitive exercise. So then we'll go to our specific development exercise. And as you do, you know, that could be maybe a 
a glued bridge with a uh, floor press with a bench. That could be your specific development exercise for that because it's very specific to trapping and rolling or elbow escaping, etc. Um, and then we would do something for our SPEs, like maybe a, a Bulgarian split squat or something that is very similar to the movements we do in jiu-jitsu, the mini movements. Um, or maybe like, let's say, a jammer press, because if you're trying to go in for a double leg, it's very similar you know, to that same movement as you step. Um, and then we would do our, our core exercises that, you know, that relate to, to jiu-jitsu. And you could definitely do it. Um, it's just a little more challenging with the fact that you have to go in there and, and test something first before you start your training. Yeah. Because you would have... If you want to do that every day as well, yeah, as you mentioned, obviously you're training on the mat, so that training on the mat would almost impact the following exercises you're going to do in the gym if you want to do it straight after. Theoretically, yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, now, you usually yeah. go two days on, one day off. There's a few ways we do it, two days on, one day yeah. off. If you're a person who likes to set schedule, you would go three days on, one day off, two days on, one day off, because then you're training Monday through Wednesday, off, off Thursday, Friday, Saturday, off Sunday. If it's two on, one off, two on, one off, two on, one off, it's different every week. But that two on, yeah. one off throws in an extra day of, of rest every now and then, so that, that helps a little more as well. Um, but the whole key there is, is, is adaptation. So um, if you're rolling every day uh, and um, you do it in that sense, then your body's going to adapt to that each day. You're, you obviously get less sore the more, the more you roll every day. And... and same thing as lifting. You have that stuff together. So it should work in the same way. But the only thing I would recommend, if you do five rounds a day rolling, then I would say make sure it's five rounds every day. It's not eight rounds one day and two rounds another day. you got to do the same thing all yeah. the time for it to work perfectly. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Interesting concept. So different to, I guess, how we traditionally normally train or traditionally plan something because – as you mentioned, you're manipulating variables, peaking for whatever that thing is. You have a set structure, and that program changes almost depending on the cycle, potentially week to week based on the intensity and volumes changing for whatever, but obviously with the system. Same thing every day. And then as you adapt, you're looking to potentially is it change the exercises then to start to spur different adaptations? Yeah, so what you do is, is once you – there's like I named the classifications. So we have, what, four classifications. We had the CE, the SDE, the SPE, and the GPE. Now, those four classifications, when you that's called a developmental cycle. And when you're done with that developmental cycle, when you know you hit peak form and you're starting to drop off, then you go to a, what we call a cleanse cycle. And a cleanse cycle is basically body weight movements, um, five body weight circuits or four body weight circuits, and uh, you do that every day. And that, you do that like for 15 to 20 sessions. And uh, that washes you out of all the exercises you did before. It's all body weight. It's just, you know, very like you're staying active. You're keeping the muscles active while washing out those old exercises. Um, and then you move into another developmental cycle, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. and, and so there's three cycle classifications. There's developmental cycle, which we had just talked about. There's the rest cycle or cleanse cycle that I just talked about. And then there is a maintenance cycle. Now, maintenance cycle, if you're, let's, let's say, let's take, for example, since the people listening to this are, are you know, grappling fight type fans, let's take ADCC, for example, right? So my objective mm -hmm. would be to hit peak form at ADCC. Like those two days, three days, mm -hmm. I want to be feeling my best, performing my best physically, etc. So if you, let's take Gordon Ryan, for example, he had 
a fight against Felipe, you know, a few weeks before that, right? Felipe Pena, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's an important fight to him because, you know, he talked a lot of stuff and he wanted to make sure he won that yeah. fight. And then he also has a way to win ADCC. So let's say that he had himself hit peak form for Felipe Pena fight. Then he had to hold that peak. And so that's called a maintenance cycle. And when you do that maintenance cycle, mm, okay. every two weeks you change the exercises, all of them. And uh, mm. and that holds your peak form. Now, I have data, to, you know, in the throwing that proves that it works perfectly. In the throws, you want to be plus or minus in the shot put, 30 centimeters every competition when you're in maintenance form. And, and, it, and it works extremely good. Like, I, I've held peak form for a long period of time doing it that way. There's all, there's all you know, you change all all every exercise so between seven and eight depending on what you're doing of those in those classifications um, but we started doing it another way called terracing and it works the same way but you don't change all the exercises so once you hit peak form you say okay I have to go on maintenance now so um, I'm only going to change the competitive exercise okay so uh, let's say instead of going five rounds of rolling you go or sparring you go three rounds this time and then uh, you do that for two workouts and do everything else the same as the first previous developmental cycle. Then you have to change the SDE, the specific development exercise. So you change that after two sessions. So at four sessions now, you have new rolling or new sparring rounds uh, or, or levels of sparring rounds and new um, specific development exercise. Then after two movements you have or two day, two sessions, you change the SPEs. So now I'm going to change my clean to a snatch. And then two more, I'm going to change my squat to a step up. And then two more, I'm going to change my bench to a floor press. And so now we're at what, eight sessions now. And so you have almost have the entire thing new. Two more sessions, you'll change the, all the GPA exercises to four new ones. So after about 11, 10 to 11 um, Sessions, everything's new again, and then you just keep repeating that sequence. Every two sessions, you switch a classification. Every two sessions, and that works really well as well because you have a new stimulus each time. But it doesn't shock the body so much by changing everything, and you don't really get sore, okay. right? So that's another way you can look at doing a maintenance cycle. So if I was, is it, is it that no, novel? Is it that novel stimulus that is kind of keeping that that peak there? Just because something new, and that's kind of the thing. Exactly, exactly, exactly that. So after, like I said, 10 or 12 sessions, depending on how many exercises you have in there or classifications, you start over all again, all new again. So you're not shocking the system with a whole complete change of all six or all four classifications and all eight to nine exercises. Um, You just switch one every two sessions. It gives you that little bit of stimulus but it keeps the rest of the body kind of stable so you don't get sore and, and, and feel a little beat up for the first couple couple sessions. Does that make sense? I guess, I guess the, yeah, that makes sense. I guess, I guess the question is, what kind of, I guess, if someone's maybe a hobbyist or would like to compete, what kind of person would benefit from, from doing a program like this? Because I can imagine a lot of people would find it boring doing the same thing, two on, one off, or three on, one off, or whatever it is, but it's exactly the same. Day in, day out, day in, day out. Same weights, same, <laughs> same exercises. Well, I think a very disciplined person would benefit greatly yeah. from this. And I also think that people who may not be confident in their movements of all lifting movements would benefit from this because mm-hmm. you're doing the same thing every day. So you're going to get good at that. And you're, the body's going to figure it out. The body eventually figures it out. This is a Vern term, Vern Gambetta term. The body will figure it yeah. out properly. And everybody has their kind of their own movement characteristics on how they, you know, 
you could take Lasha in the clean and somebody else in the clean, and you know they would both have really proficient technique, but they're going to look extremely different just because they're different body styles and maybe have different mannerisms. If that makes sense, so I think I think that somebody who maybe not as uh, how do I say it uh, very very has great technique or or not as experienced in the the lifts that they are trying to use. They'll get really good at them really, really fast. They're doing it every day, and so by the end, you're very good at that movement. Um, it's something like uh, the one by twenty, where the whole goal there is to get good at the movement. You know, get yeah. stronger, and when you adapt to that movement, then you change, you change that movement to something else. It's very much like that. So a disciplined person and somebody who who needs to get better at maybe some specific movements in their in their lifting uh, regimen or their lifting toolbox. Nice. I want to also dive into your training schedule as well and how you've managed to balance the idea of strength training and jiu-jitsu because a lot of people struggle in that area and I think that's probably the biggest, uh, I guess, determinant for people not getting to the gym as a jiu-jitsu athlete is that balance because one, they either feel too sore from what they've done at the gym which negatively affects their training on the mat or two, they feel like they lose flexibility from training in the gym and then coming to the mat. So do you want to maybe dive into kind of how you've managed to structure it? Yeah, and I've got a perfect thing for the, the whole flexibility thing. So typically I train nice. at night from, you know, 6 to 8 typically is what time I train in jiu-jitsu. And I try, like I do no gi twice a week and I do gi twice a week. Um, so I, I get both forms. And actually, you know, when you do gi, your, your fingers get a little more, and your hands get more sore because you're grabbing the gi a whole bunch, <laughs> the lapel chokes and whatnot. Um but I usually try and get up extra early and uh, do my do my lifting early in the morning before my day starts. And it, it's very important to me. I feel much better when I get done lifting. And I know that it will benefit my – at least I feel it benefits my jiu-jitsu. And the way I structure my workouts, uh, I train typically on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. It doesn't matter if I do jiu-jitsu that night or don't do jiu-jitsu that night. I still train um, however it falls on the schedule. And I set it up. I have three, I call them three modules. Some people call them pods or triceps, etc. And it's set up the same way each day, but with different movements. So, for example, module one is an explosive movement, a core movement, and a prehab movement. Um, like, so injury prevention type movement. I know people don't like that word all the time. And then mm-hmm. I actually have my training right here. And then um, the second, you, you go through that, I, I usually do three sets of each movement, you know, between, you know, three to five reps, depending on the week. Uh, then the second module of the day, after I get done with those three three sets, I move on to the next module, which is a lower body movement, a upper body pulling movement, and a mobility movement. Now, this mobility movement is going to prepare me for the upper body pushing movement, which is going to be coming in module three. So module three is going to be a hinge hip movement, a uh, upper body pushing movement, and then another mobility movement. And that mobility movement counters what made me tight from module two's lower body movement. So if I'm squatting, I'm gonna do like a, a pigeon stretch or a, sta- a supported pigeon stretch, something along those lines to go ahead and uh, make sure that I still stay mobile even though I might be squatting heavy. So is all that making clear so far, mm-hmm. making sense? So yeah. those three modules yeah. per day. And, and I, I got this from uh, watching Shannon Turley training, who was a strength coach at uh, Stanford when they were extremely good at football. And there's a, a junior college coach out here named Robert Bills from Medios who also uses a very similar system to that where I grabbed that stuff from and I kind of delved my old system. 
Now, mm. three sessions a week, that would be a what a typical session would look like. Now, on session one, day one, I use more a traditional thing. So mm. I'll do my cleans, my front squats, my normal style bench press on those days, still with the other things I mentioned, the mobility and the upper body pulling yeah. uh, on there and, and my hinge hip, et cetera. Day two, and that's more of a bilateral day. Day two is more of a unilateral day, which you and I both know is obviously more specific to a, a jiu-jitsu style workout. So much stuff is unilateral and you're moving one leg in one place and one arm in another place. So that day I, I do my explosive movement. That's typically like some kind of one-arm snatch or one-arm high pull with dumbbells or kettlebells. Um, my core movement is going to be, if I did a sagittal core movement on day one, I'm going to do a frontal plane core movement on day two um, or a transverse one. And um, my lower body movement is typically some type of kettlebell, Bulgarian split, split squat or, or goblet, Bulgarian goblet squat, something like that. Um, so everything's very much unilateral. My, uh, my dumbbell stuff, uh, my bench, my pressing stuff will either be like some eccentric dips things like that, or I call them tempo, maybe not so much eccentric, but we do it with a tempo on the way down and explode on the mm -hmm. way up. And I usually tend to use the velocity-based training for all my training. So tempo on the way down, four nice. seconds on the way down, and then explode on the way up. Um, so that would be more like day two is all mostly unilateral, uh, trying to work different planes uh, that I did on the first day. And day three is what I call my super jujitsu-specific day. Um, I do everything. It still follows the same format. We got explosive movement. We got core movement. We got prehab, all that stuff. But here, I do everything for time. 30 seconds on, 10 seconds off, or 15 seconds off. Because when you're pinned or you're mounted on somebody, you know, most beginners are in a big rush to try and get a submission or whatever. But you also want to apply pressure. You're getting applied pressure on you if you're unfortunate enough to be on the bottom. And you kind of got to relax a little bit. And so that's kind of your, your 10 or 15 seconds off before you hit a big burst. In my mind, that's how I train. And mm -hmm. here I do like lots of carries. So in, in a sense, my lower body movement would be more um, of uh, what I call surrender. So I, I put a band around my, my body and uh, it's attached fairly low on a rack and I have it around my, my shoulders and my neck. And I go down to my knees and then up on my feet, down on my knees, up on my feet, down on my knees, up on my feet, mm -hmm. one, one side at a time um, for time. And then I'll do uh, for a carry, I'll do a heavy farmer's walk um, for grip strength. I'll do a dead hang holding on the ropes or towels. Um, that's my, my real jujitsu specific day. And, and I don't want, I want to fail to mention that not only do I mix that with jiu-jitsu specific training but i also um there's a, a guy named peter atia who i listen to all the time and he's more of a longevity specialist and you know grip strength and things like that are a major tell in how long you're able to live so they say right mm -hmm. and so that's why i mix those those carries in as well and the grip strength stuff as well because there's certain things that he has come across or data he has come across where if you could farmers walk your body weight for for two minutes then you're probably going to have a long life. There's data that shows that. Um, and for those of you who think I'm full of crap, listen to his podcast. You know, like I believe it. Uh, <laughs> if you can, um, you know, dead hang for a certain amount of time, and you're and you're 40 years old, which I am, 43, then you know you're you're above the curve, and you're probably you have a higher chance of living a longer life. So I mix those two together. Um, so does all that make sense? So I set everything up. So I got a bilateral day, yeah. which is more traditional Olympic lifting type stuff. 
And then I have a unilateral day, which is everything's unilaterally done. And then I have a really jujitsu-specific day where everything's for time and rounds and, and things like that as far as I lift. So that's how I evolved it. It's been fun and unique for me to be able to do something like that to kind of get specific to jujitsu. Yeah, nice. You mentioned you train jujitsu four times a week. How, I guess, in terms of the grip training, extra grip training, how many times a week of jujitsu would you think you would need to train to kind of pull back some of that grip training? Do you think that can always be in there regardless of how, I guess, how much you're training? Um, I think it depends what level you're at. Like, if you look at some of the high-level guys, yeah. like, you know, Kurt Oriander, like, I've seen videos of him. He's got tape all over his fingers. These guys got – so I don't <laughs> know, like, you can sustain that if they're training, you know, 8 to 10 hours a day or whatever they're training every single day and teaching class. <clears> and <throat> I think with the, without the key, you can do it. But with the gi, it's way, way, yeah. it's way, in my mind, it's way different. You know, I'm not some expert, but it's way different to me. Um, yeah. You know, you were, to me, gi is a little more stressful because you also have to worry about getting choked by the gi, right? No gi, you don't have to worry about necessarily getting choked with a lapel or something or somebody sneaking your, your lapel, the bottom lapel up and choking you with that or whatever. So, um, you know, it's a little more stressful and a little more <laughs> grip oriented in the, in the gi versus no gi. Yeah, for sure. I mean, now I'm only, I'm only doing no-gi submission grappling now here with the gym I found. It's been, yeah, it's been epic four days a week of just that. Not having to worry about doing gi, not having to worry about my hands getting destroyed uh-huh. in the gi. And, and I don't have, like, I know, I know what you mean by obviously doing a lot of gi. You know, your fingers get pretty wrecked and, and your grip can take it. But just doing the no-gi stuff has been, it's been nice. Like, my hands don't feel wasted. And I can go do whatever I need to do in the gym as well, and I don't have that fatigue. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, I, I start off at Gracie, uh, Gracie University in, by my house, and they closed during COVID. <laughs> and we, the guys who were, we were just one-stripe white belts, and we're like, man, this sucks. Like, we can't train now. So we started training in my garage, and we did everything off of Henner and Hudon's videos. And then we tested for, our they call it a combatus belt. A combatus belt is like a rookie blue belt. Like you're good enough to be a rookie blue belt. And they don't, they're very, very strict on letting you roll until you have that combatus belt because a lot of places just throw you to the wolves and you don't know how to, how to defend yourself. You don't know any of the moves, no elbow escapes, nothing. And you just kind of figure it out as you go. Well, this style, six to eight months, you do this combatus or this, you know, white belt combatus type class. And then you're, you're, you're for the most part, ready to roll after that so you get your combatus belt your rookie stripe it's a rookie it's like a blue stripe with a white belt and um so we passed and when we passed the test uh we became combatus belts and we kept rolling in my garage with the instructors there was like you know 12 guys would show up every other night we get we got good enough and we got promoted to our blue belts by the instructors and um so that's how it started. Now, then the whole place just closed down again, and our place closed, and people stopped coming to the garage. I'm like, what do I do? Um, and then I started going to 10th Planet, and that's when I started doing all the, all the no-gi stuff because 10th Planet was open. It was by my house. And what I was getting at is we, we talked about <laughs> gi versus no-gi is the elbow escapes in no-gi are different than the elbow escapes in gi, right? Because if you're my elbow escaping in gi, i got to have that head control to keep him close to me so he doesn't try and choke me with a lapel. Right with a no gi, I could get both my hands down on his hip and be able to bridge and yeah. get out like that without having to worry about getting my neck cho- my choked by the gi. So uh, little things like that is different, and uh, but I really enjoy it. I got a transition. It was hard for me to transition when I started going to Tenth Planet of grabbing things. I would still grab rash guards and things because I was 
I was used to doing that. I had to stop doing that. <laughs> no, that's funny. How, how would your training in the gym then change if you were preparing for a competition? Um, if I was paying, preparing for a jiu-jitsu competition? Well, yep. um, I would actually do it very much like a, a periodization plan. If I, was, if I was doing a traditional type training, what I'm, I'm doing now, I guess you could say, is I would definitely have um, a cycle leading up to my competition. Like if I was 13 weeks out, I'd have a specific cycle where um, then we, we would run them in four weeks. So getting back, going back to how I compare, uh, prepare for a competition, I would have uh, basically a 13-week cycle, and we would run them in four-week increments um, or a 13-week plan with four-week cycles. And I would consider my first cycle my base cycle, where it's a little bit higher volume uh, and, and medium intensity. And each week within that cycle, that first cycle, would have a theme. The first thing would be a base week, which is about medium volume, medium intensity. The second week, I would increase the intensity a little bit and increase the volume. The third week, I would completely unload. So that means maybe I might spar two rounds instead of six rounds or whatever you want to say. And then the fourth week would be more of a... Um, performance week where my intensity's up, volume's a little bit lower, but you know, I'm rolling really hard, really aggressively, and hopefully I'm, I'm executing everything very, very good. Then I would repeat that again uh, the next, the next four-week cycle, and that would be um, basically my, I guess you'd want to say a strength development cycle. And uh, so the first cycle was volume, the second week cycle was strength development, and I would, I would drop my volume a little bit, increase the intensity as far as lifting and training goes, and I'd follow that same pattern of the weeks, base, uh, base, volume, unload, perform. And then the last four weeks, I would consider that neural training. So I understand maybe like, you could argue that jujitsu and grappling, like there are bursts and you gotta do different type of explosive bursts. So you definitely need a good nervous system to be able to handle it, but you also need very good you know, cardio as well. But I would, uh, obviously drop the volume even more, increase the intensity even more. And um, my rolling, going into a competition, I would, I would very, try and be as fresh as possible. I wouldn't be you know, rolling six rounds a day or training two hours a day. I would, I'd cut it down because at this point, I should already know how to do you know, and do what I'm doing and be very specific what I'm doing with like no drilling, none of that stuff, just straight rolling and trying to be fresh and you know, whatnot. And then one week out, uh, I call that my prep week, and uh, that would be medium, medium volume, medium intensity, be as fresh as possible, and then week 14 would be compete. So does that make sense? So we have that, yeah. we have the, the three cycles. Uh, the first cycle, four-week cycle is volume, the second is strength development, the third is neural training, which is very much like an Olympic lifting type setup. And uh, that I got, I got this style from uh, Coach Conroy. Are you familiar with Coach Conroy, uh, USA Weightlifting? No, I don't. Uh, he's out of Idaho. Um, but that's how I would set it up. And then within those weeks, we have we have theme weeks. We have a base week, a performance or a, a volume week, an unload week, and a performance week for each of those cycles. That unload week is very, very important. You always every two weeks you get you get to unload a little bit um, and feel good. And it kind of mimics the way you're going to feel in competition, in a sense, because you're going to be unloaded. Mm. So it kind of mimics that and gives you a chance to recover. Um, so that's that's how I would do it. Now, uh, as I had more experience, I might adjust things. But to start a starting point, that's what it would be. Nice. I, I, I like how you mentioned about manipulating the sparring, uh, the sparring with the live rolling stuff. And I wanted to get your take maybe on this. 
for people who maybe maybe they compete, maybe they don't, whatever, but maybe just for longevity on the match. Obviously, if you wanted to, you could go every jujitsu class you go to, you could smash yourself and just roll like five rounds to the death and just be and walk out there wipes. Obviously, in the long term, you know, it's going to take its toll, toll on the body, you know, toll on injuries, all sorts of things going on. So, I guess just from a general longevity standpoint, do you have any maybe advice or tips for anyone of how they can manipulate, I guess? rounds their role, intensity and things like that from maybe day to day and week to week? Um, my my thought is is that for me personally I'm older I'm older so it's a little bit different I, I'd imagine. But um, I think drilling or flow rolling twice a week and rolling hard twice a week has seemed to work really really good for me right now. I've been doing mm-hmm. that right now. Um, and uh, that's basically been the, the best I felt my body like I don't feel like a, a truck hit me after every every after every jiu-jitsu session yeah. before when you roll hard for you know five rounds every single day like every day it just adds up everything adds up and uh you feel like a truck hits you worse and worse every single day but now it's kind of like monday is is more of a roll hard day tuesday is more of a flow type day and drill type day wednesday roll hard thursday more of a drill type uh drill type day and then you get to recover over the weekend if you don't if you don't go to any class over the weekend so that's my best advice but that's from my experience so um that's what's worked mm. best for me yeah i found similar like uh back in well, maybe four or five years ago now i was i was at class four or five times a week and after every class it was just like hard rolling multiple rounds and yeah i <laughs> you felt like the truck sent you now what's, what's going on where i'm training now it's only rolling after the class if you want to so I've been able to control kind of what days I'm doing what so Mondays mentioned I, I roll a little harder maybe a couple more rounds Tuesday Thursday I might not even roll any rounds or maybe just roll one light round and then Friday I know it's positional spine and that's just an hour I know that's my hard day so I can almost plan my week to the point now where I know Friday's the hard day that's all good because all the other days can kind of be a little easier and I don't have to be stupid about how much I'm going to do each day. Yeah, and even then, you know, like say for example, Friday's an open mat. So if you're feel, still feeling good on Friday, maybe you go and you know get another. If you're feeling good, yeah, exactly. go and get a couple rounds in an open mat. If you don't, then then you don't, right? So it kind of kind of works out works out good that way. Um, you know, I think it also depends on the school. I've I've been to three different schools now. Yeah, Gracie sure. isn't like the way we do things isn't as aggressive as far as uh, drilling type stuff. Like you drill things, but it's, they want everything done very deliberately and, and very technical. Um, Ted Flanagan is very technical as well, from you know my experience there. But uh, we also get after it at the end when we roll. Um, mm. Checkmat, I think, is the most aggressive that I've been to. I've only was there a few times. But they would teach you a move, like a move from guard or something, and they say, okay, we're going to drill now. You cannot let anybody get past your guard. If they get past your guard or submit you, then you stay on the mat, they get off, and you've got to survive as long as you can. Uh, and they just keep rotating. I was like, my first day there, I'm like, holy crap. And I went against a few higher belts than me, and, 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 I, and I passed their guard, and I submitted one of them, and it was like, okay. And then they just kept coming, and it was like, I know what these guys are doing now. These guys were saving a little bit of energy. That's why I was able to get past their guard and beat them a little bit because they knew how long this was going to last. And then after that, mm. 15 minutes of that, then it's like, okay, now we roll. And at that point, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> so at least in my experience, Czech man has been the most aggressive uh, as far as 
wearing you down and, and making you get after it at the end. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's definitely different different cultures and different gyms. And especially even some of like, I guess the more traditional Brazilian style gyms as well often have uh, really hard rounds near the end of class and you know, a lot of them and sometimes extra, like that's one thing I really don't like about some gyms when they make you do extra like, conditioning and stuff, push-ups and runs. Like, oh, I'll do it in my own time. Yeah. Like, I want to, I would learn while I'm here and I can do that whenever. Yeah. Else. Exactly, and in relation to the whole different school thing, is how they promote is, is extremely interesting too. Um, at Tenth Planet, I felt that the blue belts are actually they're all about equal, right? And they have purple belts who are really really good, and they have white belts that are really good that aren't blue belts yet, but maybe probably are, are technically as good as blue belts. Um, and people listening who may be a white belt, you can definitely tell a difference between a purple belt, a blue belt, a white belt, at least in my experience you can. Um, mm-hmm. And then you go to a different school and you have uh, you roll against a brown belt and he's not very good. You think this, this guy's not that good or maybe even a, a black belt and they're not that good. But then you get a purple belt who's an absolute murderer and you're like, man, this guy, like, <laughs> how is this? How is this possible? You're a black belt. You're a brown belt. This purple belt is just destroying everybody. Um, so. I guess what I'm saying is that I guess it really doesn't matter what belt you are, um, typically, because isn't Nicky Rod, isn't he still a brown belt? They call him the black belt slayer. I don't even know what belt he is. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think they call him the black belt slayer because he's still a brown belt, I think. But obviously he was in the ADCC final, so he's pretty good. Must, must be sandbagging. Yeah, yeah. Coach Jones is sandbagging. You know, and it's, it's great, too, because, like, Tom Hardy just, you know, got a bunch of promo, uh, promoted our sport a little bit by the – the tournament he was in and I saw a bunch of memes on Instagram and stuff. It had all the reporters with Tom Hardy after he won his and you got Gordon Ryan, the greatest guy, you know, the, the king right now and yeah. the best in the world. And maybe even the greatest of all time you could say, and, you know, no one even cares outside of our world, but everybody <laughs> outside of the world cares about Tom Hardy being a blue belt and winning a blue belt tournament. So that's kind of interesting. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Do, do you have any thoughts maybe on, uh, extra conditioning off the mats. Do you see a place for it? Is, there, is that something you think people should spend their time off the mats doing, or should basically most of the conditioning come from the stuff they were doing in clubs? Well, I think the specific conditioning, yes, comes from the mats. But one thing that really has helped me is I mentioned I lift on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays typically. Those my lifting sessions. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, I typically do some type of cardio session. And my favorite, well, not my favorite, but my favorite thing that carries over is the assault bike yeah. and I do intervals yeah. on the assault bike so um, I'll have like a five minute round and I'll go 20 seconds as hard as I can go and then 10 seconds rest like I'm still pedaling and stuff so if you really think about yeah. it it's very much like jiu-jitsu where okay all right I'm pinned now I got to think about how I'm going to get out or I mount to this guy what's my next move going to be what's my next setup going to be it's very much like that so I'll do that uh, for five minutes and then I'll rest for a minute and then I'll do it for another five minutes. So rest for a minute. I'll do six rounds of that. Um, to on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, six rounds. What's that? On Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you'll do six rounds. Five to that. six, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, now, sometimes if I'm feeling like I'm a little beat up, I might use the rower instead because I feel the rower is a little bit easier than the assault bike. Um, so mm-hmm. but though that type of interval stuff, that, that's how I do it. I do it in five-minute increments. You know, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. And I look at my wattage. I try to keep my wattage above a certain time or above a certain wattage for for the 20 seconds. And then I try and 
limit how low I go on that rest. So for that 20 seconds, I might try and be a mm-hmm. over 60 on the Watts on the install bike or over 65 um, or 70. And then while I'm resting and pedaling still for those 10 seconds, I'm going to want to try and keep it above 50 is, is basically yeah. what I said. Because there's a big difference between 50 and 65 or 50 and 70 on, on, in my experience on the assault bike. So have you, have you found you're able to hold higher wattage now that you've been doing it for a while yeah, on, the, on your own Absolutely. And even more, I do some zone two training as well. And um, okay. one thing, I, I'm glad you mentioned this because I want to talk about this a little bit, is um, I was doing my zone two training and that's basically I go 45 minutes and I keep track of how many watts I can generate the whole time, the consistent time of 45 minutes. And my heart rate stays in zone two. So 137, for me, it's 137. Uh, is it right at the edge of zone two. And so I was doing really, really good. And then I got COVID and I had dodged it for two and a half, three years. And I was able mm-hmm. to keep my wattage like at 52 or 53 for a long period of time for that 45 minutes. And then after I got COVID, my first workout back, I could only manage like 46 or 45. So it dropped my cardio way down just after, you know, four or five days of COVID. So it's been a long process, but I built it back up. But what I do notice rolling wise is cardio wise, I'm okay. Like, but it seems like when people put pressure on me now, side control, whatever, it affects me far more. And other people who have gotten COVID Mm -hmm. have told me the same thing where sometimes they had to tap under pressure after they've had COVID because they couldn't breathe as effectively. You know, you can't, it's hard to breathe anyways when you're under pressure like that. But it's even, yeah. it's far worse now, and I've experienced that now. And I, you know, I, the only excuse I have is that I chalk up to COVID because I'm in, I'm in a little bit better shape as far as my wattage goes, um, both zone two and on the whole uh, interval training. Um, so you know, that's kind of an interesting thing to look at as far as the side effects COVID may have on you, or mm. it also depends on what person. Because uh, what's his face? Uh, Chimia have had had issues too. I think with the whole COVID thing, from what I from what I've heard. Yeah. Does, how long did it take you to to bring back your I guess your cardio your performance? Uh, three months. Oh, so long, I got eh? it in June. So July, August, September. At the end of September, I was I was back. So three months. Yeah, three months. Right. Yeah. In that time, then, I guess what what did you do in that time to bring yourself back without? kind of putting yourself back in the hole? Um, I just, I did my, I did more zone two training than I did my interval training um, mm-hmm. because that was important for me uh, to be able to get my, my cardio up as far as the zone two part goes. Um, so I would do that every other day and, and, and stick with that. Um, but that's basically, basically all I did. And I, there's a doctor named Dr. Michael Joyner and um, he's at the mm. Mayo Clinic and uh, he's part of the game network as well with Vern Gambetta. Yeah. And I sent a message to him. I said, hey, Dr. Joyner, I said, here's the deal. Um, I got COVID and this drops way down. I go, is this normal? He said, yeah, we're seeing it all over the place. So just keep working on doing what you're doing. Keep working back up and uh, it'll come back. And so it finally did. The only effects I have, like I said, is when I'm under more pressure. When I'm under normal pressure from the same people now, it's, it's just more pressure. And to me, I don't think they've gotten better at putting pressure on. I just think that whenever I get in that position, it's, it's worse for me now. Hopefully it goes away. So, so still, still now the pressure is um, is tough. The pr- when they're on top of me, yeah, like when they're on side control, yeah. putting hard pressure on me or knee on belly, things like that, it's a little bit tougher 
for me now than it used to be. Like I used to be able to really relax, uh, but now it's it's a little bit tougher as far as, as breathing. I just I can't explain the feeling, the difference in the feeling, but it's definitely it's definitely there, you know. Because I used to pride myself. That's interesting. I could take all the pressure you want to give me. Maybe not against like Gordon <laughs> Ryan or one of those guys, but against the guys we roll against, I could take anything you have. But now it's like, man, this is this sucks. This really sucks. I got to get out from underneath here. And so because of that, you can't relax as long and try to figure out your way out. You got to burst real fast and try to elbow escape or, or or roll or whatever you can do to get out of that. So um, hopefully, hopefully it goes away. Um, I felt that I've gotten better out the last number of weeks. Um, it won't have like it used to happen maybe the first two or three rounds, but now I'm able to get the first two or three rounds, and then round four or five it starts to happen more. So I think I'm getting better. But uh, yeah, that's that's part of the effect. My college coach Glenn McAtee, who's also a jiu-jitsu practitioner, he told me it's the same thing. He's he's felt the same way. So wow, wow. Hopefully that hopefully that comes right. But um, I guess you mentioned because you you trained in your garage during some of the lockdowns, so you obviously have mats in your in your garage there too. Have you played around with solo drills, shadow wrestling, and things like that for extra conditioning? Well, I got uh, I got a dummy that I put towels into and made a dummy. Oh. And so yeah. I feel a lot of people watch these crazy YouTube things and, and these crazy Instagram reels of, of guys working on different moves. And I look at them, and as a coach, and you're a coach, like you could say, well, that seems pretty practical. That doesn't seem practical at all because lots of times people are just laying there and, and doing, you know, just letting them do whatever they want to them when they do that fancy move. Um so I drill things on that dummy that I feel is practical, and yeah, it works. It works more often than not when I drill it, and then I just—it's kind of for me. It's like, for example, a, a side control escape. Um, you know, I gotta watch him do it first. So one of one of them that I just used the other night that I hadn't used before is uh, I get my arm locked in underneath his hip, his far hip that's on top of me, and I take my other arm and I trap it around the top of his head. And I roll them, and it worked like a, like it was like a charm. I had never tried it like that before, and it worked like a charm. And I got that from an Instagram reel that I drilled over and over in my garage. <laughs> um, there's one, you know, and I'm fortunate. My wife's a really cool person, and uh, she'll train with me every now and then. She's not a juicy person, but she'll go out and she'll train with me, and I'll teach her some stuff. Nice. But recently, um, they're they're. The trap and roll is the most basic thing you can learn, right? This might be the first thing you learn, at least in, my, in our school. It's the first thing you learn. It's the most basic thing mm-hmm. to escape things or escape mountains. And typically, when you try and trap and roll an experienced person, like it's not going to work uh, because they know how to yeah. base out and hook their legs in underneath your legs, etc. So recently, the, the new Gracie school, Matt, like your story's like, look, there's a sweet spot. So if you hit that sweet spot, they can't stop it. And he goes, if you don't believe me, Look at Huron versus Galvao. When Huron did Galvao, Huron took the Huron took the fight in short short notice, and they said, "Look, you can't let him mount you." And I guess Huron said that. And this is secondhand knowledge. We're not saying I know what he was saying, but the war the story <laughs> is that Huron goes, "I'm going to let him do whatever he wants to me to prove that our school stuff type works, like this trap and roll stuff works." And so I think it's like 12 minutes of the match. If you go look at the match, Huron versus Galvao, Galvao gets trap and rolled by Huron. Right, and so that was proof that there is definitely a sweet spot. And so the other night I was rolling with the instructor, and uh, I hit the sweet spot. Like he goes, oh, he, and as I was, I was trapping, rolling him, he was like, oh my god, I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe we get rolled by you, right? So because obviously he's a higher level than I am, so I drilled that over and over again. So 
there's that saying, drillers make killers. Well, you know, like, it definitely, it definitely helps. But as far as conditioning goes, I just do my interval stuff and I do my, do, you know, the, uh, the rolling on the mat. And uh, the one last thing I'll say that we do is we have a specific curriculum in the combatives course in that, in that, in that school. And we have a sheet of all the mount techniques you need to know, all the side control techniques, all the uh, guard techniques you need to know. And what we'll do is it's usually about five minutes of technique, and we'll go through every single move for five minutes before class starts. And, you know, sometimes we'll get through 10 to 12 minutes of it. Sometimes we'll get through all of it before the instructor starts. But that's a very much a conditioning type aspect, too, because we're doing all those moves really fast um, in a row, and we're drilling at the same time. So it kind of gets the best of both worlds. Nice, nice. That's a good way, good way to end this as well. I mean, do you, I guess for people listening to this, this would be probably one of the more practical episodes we've had too, which is great. So people can kind of take a lot of this information and try and assimilate it how they want to. But if people want to learn more about you, maybe what you're doing and things like that, where can they find you? Uh, on Instagram, Nick underscore G underscore Garcia. Uh, my business account is at Garcia Performance uh, or Garcia Perform, excuse me, on Instagram. Uh, Twitter, same thing at Nick underscore G underscore Garcia. Um, and I have a small website, GarciaPerformance.com, um, that Hammer Media also runs. He runs that site for me. So, um, oh, nice. But I, I, that's where you find me. And, you know, if you send me an email, I might not get back. I, I usually get back within the day. But if it's like kind of a, a very deep question type email, like I'm going to wait until I have time so I can answer it in the exact detail that you asked me and so I make sure you get everything you asked for. Yeah, we should actually mention on HMMR Media, Nick's got a whole bunch of, I guess, resources on there too from all, all different training stuff. So Yeah, we have a uh, uh, basically an exercise library on there that is um, separated by bilateral, unilateral, explosive, by all the, all the exercise classifications that I talked about earlier. Uh, we have a core one that says, okay, transverse core, frontal core, uh, sagittal core, um, et cetera, et cetera, complexes, circuits. Um, so there's a membership fee, and I'm not sure what that is because Martin runs that. But there's articles not just on strength and mm. conditioning, but on sports psychology, on sprinting, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should I should say I should, your your jump circuit video. I've been using since you put that out. I've been using those jump circuits for years. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Those that's are awesome. I yeah, that. that's right. I completely forgot about that. Now I was like, yeah, shit. That's like my level one now. Level one preparation for you know, whatever it is as we progress through more ballistic applied stuff like whatever one is jump circuits and i've kind of modified and made my own different uh-huh. ones now but, but the concept yeah, you know the concept's nice. good and like i said we talked about base volume or uh, we talked about volume uh cycle <laughs> and then a strength development cycle then a neural cycle that uh jump circuit stuff that stuff is in in the volume cycle the first one to prepare us for the strength development cycle which mm. we do a lot of box jumps during that time and then our neural training is we combine the jumps with a sprint or the med ball throws with a jump or the med balls with a sprint. So that's mm. our normal type training. So there's a progression to everything and all that stuff's on there. Nice. I actually need to go back through some of the Hammer Media stuff and see and rewatch a whole bunch of things on there, I think. <laughs> you just reminded me. Oh, perfect. No, thank you for coming on, Nick. I really appreciate it. And uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with Nick, you can find him on his Instagram. So I'll have everything down in the description as well. Um, but All right, thanks for your time, and I, I, I enjoy being practical. I'm not really a scientist, but I know good things when I see them. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>